Good morning, ABC. Thank you guys for joining us. We're glad you guys are here. My name is uh, Sean Russell, and I wanted to share a few announcements before we jump into today's message with Jake this morning. Uh, the first is Light Up the Night. Uh, ABC Church is going to be partnering with several other churches here in the community to host a Halloween drive through experience on Saturday, October 30th from 6 to 8 p.m. There's more information on our website at abcchurch.org, but some of the ways you can be thinking about being involved is perhaps making some donations or even considering setting up a booth to help bless some of the families that attend that event. Again, it's Light Up the Night, Saturday, October 30th from 6 to 8 p.m. Next up, this one's for the men out there. Uh, ABC Church is going to be hosting a men's retreat up at Hume Lake, uh, October 14th through the 17th. Uh, I'm excited and honored to be uh, bringing a group up there to Hume Lake. It's an amazing place to connect with others and connect with God. And uh, I just encourage you to consider coming up. Um, the, the theme for this week, or this weekend in particular, is called Escape with a Purpose. Uh, and I really do think it's going to be a great, uh, great time uh, for the men just to enjoy each other, enjoy the great outdoors, and have messages of conviction uh, that help lead us into places where uh, we understand what God truly intends for us as men in this life. Uh, and so again, mark your calendar, October 14th through the 17th. Consider joining us. Uh, you can check out our website, call the office, or stop by and sign up. And I'd love to have you join me. And lastly, for the moms out there, we're going to be hosting Mom to Mom uh, this coming Thursday, October 7th. Uh, there's two Mom to Moms. There's one in the morning at 9 a.m. and another one at 7 p.m. Um, the moms are uh, continuing along in their series of Roots and Shoots, and uh, the focus of this particular week is on discipling our children and what that looks like as moms. Um, and so we just encourage you to think of a mom out there you'd like to invite to join you, uh, to walk alongside as they're doing these things together. Um, and if you're interested in childcare, uh, we just ask that you go on our website, sign up, uh, and let us know that you're bringing your kid. Again, it's Mom to Mom, October 7th, uh, either at 9 a.m. Uh, or at 7 p.m. right here at church. I hope you guys have a great Sunday morning. Good morning, church. Hey, we're moving into the second chapter of Titus today. So grab your Bibles, your phones, your advice. We'll get right down to it. Titus chapter two, one through four. As we get there, have you ever been in some kind of group where there were like these unstated rules or cultural values uh, that it seemed like everybody knew, but you didn't know? Uh, like whether they were spoken or unspoken, it's kind of this, this is how we do things here mentality. And nobody said anything about it, but, but everybody seems to agree. Um, I think about when I was in seventh grade and texting was getting really popular. And I had a couple friends who said that LOL meant uh, laugh out loud, which is, seems like pretty conventional wisdom. But then at that time, I also had another group of friends that insisted that LOL meant lots of love which that's a huge difference. And I remember feeling like super torn up about it as a seventh grade kid, really like learning about texting culture and learning how to, how to do it right, you know? Like if you say LOL, uh, but you mean lots of love or laugh out loud, that's super, super different. Like if you're texting your crush or whatever and you're saying you're super cute, LOL, like that could mean like two completely different things, either lots of love or laugh out loud. But now these days, it seems like these uh, these rules, they're more agreed on, right? Like when someone puts the wrong emoji somewhere and you kind of raise an eyebrow. Uh, or like we all kind of agree, like winky faces should be used pretty sparingly. Um, or it's super weird if it's used too much. Like, why is he winking at that? Like, is he being sarcastic or is he, uh, say, I mean, like you shouldn't use winky faces too much. And nobody's really saying anything about all of these rules. 
um, except for me right now, but we all kind of agree. And if someone doesn't get the rule, you notice. See, every group or tribe has its way of seeing the world, its own unifying beliefs, whether they're spoken or unspoken. And you could say that every group really has its doctrine, its own way of thinking, its dogma. So my point today, my hope for us is this, that as we um, figure out how we think, because everybody has their own way of thinking, every group has their way of thinking, my hope for us is this, that we would think biblically about everything. That we would think biblically about everything. See, every group has its unspoken rules, every group really has its doctrine. And that's what the talk is about today, is doctrine. And it's true at a deeper level for our beliefs, for how every person sees the world. John Mark Comer said this so well, summarizing Leslie Newbegin on the rules that every group has, even the religious nature and tone uh, that, that every and any group has of seeing the world. Every idea and belief system is really its own religion in some ways, even the anti-religion ones, no matter which group or ideology you want to subscribe to. Here's the thing. So just think of... Um, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a religion, whether it's Christianity, something orthodox like that, or whether it's something um, maybe super far left leaning, some different kind of ideology, here's what's true. They have a gospel. They have a call to evangelism. They have a priesthood. They have conversion stories. They have members who have been initiated or baptized in. There are those who do not yet know the truth and need to be educated in. They have dogma that you have to believe and cannot doubt or question or deviate from. There are false teachers and heretics. They have excommunication. There's an eschatology or a grand vision for the future. They offer you theories or a vision of a better society. They offer you an identity and a sense of self-worth, even if it's a fragile one. They offer you a community of belonging, even if it's a tribal anti-community. They offer you a meaning and a purpose, even if it's not right. They offer you an ethical vision of good and evil and a fine line of demarcation between the righteous and the wicked, who's in and who's out. They offer you hope for a better tomorrow, for a society we all crave, but all of it without God or even against God. See, it's not a question, church, whether or not you believe in doctrine, whether or not anyone out there in the world has doctrine or dogma or a belief system. What we need is sound doctrine, doctrine that's true, doctrine that's reliable. So that's where we start in Titus chapter 2. We'll get right to the text. So Paul's already laid out the ground rules for a restored, reordered church structure through chapter 1, and now he's beginning his case um, his vision for a new household, the new family, the new reordered family unit. And he starts with this charge, Titus 2, 1 through 4. He says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So we'll stop right there. These four verses really introduce chapter two in two parts, if you, if you caught it there. Number one is what is sound doctrine? But number two is what accords with it? See, verse one, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine, begs the question, what is sound doctrine? And then the rest of it, what accords with it? And isn't that Christianity at the most fundamental level? Know the truth and do what accords with it, right? Know the truth and do it. 
So first, what is doctrine? Generally, this is Webster's Dictionary, generally a principle, position, or body of principles in a branch of knowledge or system of belief. But what is sound doctrine? I love that word here in verse one, sound doctrine. I don't know about you, but for me, I can't help but think of philosophy 101 class, like the, the logic lessons, remember fallacies and argument structure. So in deductive arguments, an argument is sound when both its, uh, when its flow is valid and both of the premises are true. I don't know if you remember some of those examples. So here's a, a correct, a sound argument example. Vegetables taste worse than cookies. Broccoli is a vegetable. Therefore, broccoli tastes worse than cookies. Okay, that's a correct uh, statement, a, a sound, valid flow of an argument. Here's an incorrect example. All actors are handsome. Tom Cruise is handsome. Therefore, Tom Cruise is an actor. Right, do you catch that? Like that's, no, that's not how that works. All actors are handsome. That's not necessarily true. So that, that premise isn't even necessarily true. It's too subjective. And third, that's not the reason that Tom Cruise is an actor. That's not how the logic flows there. See, in order for a conclusion to be sound, it has to be consistent with true premises. So with doctrine, the positions that we hold, the conclusions that we come to about faith and life and death and all the things that matter the most, we have to have a source of truth that those things logically flow out of. We have to have a standard, a barometer, and that source for us, for us Christians, that source is not found within us or in some tribe of thought that we must align with or in how we feel about something. For us, the source of truth is the word of God. So Wayne Grudem said it simply, that a doctrine, in the Christian worldview, a doctrine is what the whole Bible teaches us today about some particular topic. That means that our conclusions about things, our convictions, what you've come to believe about any number of topics, it has to be consistent with the truth found in Scripture. It has to line up with that. It must, what you believe, your conviction your, what, what, you, what you find to be your doctrine in life, it must submit to the authority and the lordship of Jesus, who is himself the embodiment of God's word, John 1 says. And he prayed that we would be sanctified by the truth, which he says over and over again is found in the word. So if we want right doctrine, and I'm saying that is what the whole Bible teaches us about some particular topic. If we want right doctrine, sound doctrine, just a few implications to humble us and to encourage us in our journey there. Number one on your notes is this, that your feelings can be wrong. Number one, your feelings can be wrong. Jeremiah 17 reminds us that the heart above all things is deceptive. I know this is like a cardinal sin in our culture to say that that what what you feel like like whatever's happening in there at the heart level to say that that can be wrong. I that's I know that's that's insane in our culture. But perhaps it's one of the most important lines of demarcation right now in in our uh, in our moment in history between followers of Jesus and the rest of the world. For us, not only to say that there's right and wrong outside of us, I mean, just that enough to say that there is right, there is wrong, there is true, there is false, but also to say that right and wrong lives inside of each of us. Jeff brought that idea last week that the line between good and evil lives within every one of us. See, the doctrine of the world would say, be true to yourself. 
God says, lose your life in order to find it. The doctrine of the world says, live your truth. And God says that that's a prison disguised as freedom. I've heard someone say that your freedoms are great until they become your prisons. See, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I I am the truth. There's truth, and and I'm it. See, the doctrine of the world says you do you, and if you don't, then you're denying or suppressing or even abusing yourself. But God says, do what I command. Do what I do. Do what's right as defined by him. That's where freedom is. That's where real life is. Now, we are a Disney family. No shame at all about that, okay? But you have to pay attention to to some of this Disney doctrine sometimes. Like, my kids are are in the Mulan month. It's every month. It's kind of just a different movie. You know, we watch it so more times than I am proud to admit. So we're on on Mulan right now, you know, the older 1998 one. Um... There's a song at the end with 98 Degrees with like Nick Lachey and featuring Stevie Wonder called True to Your Heart. True to your heart, let's be true to your heart, then the heavens will part. There's this line in it. It says, your heart can tell you no lies. We were listening to it in the car the other day. That line came up and said, your heart can tell you no lies. I was like, hold on, Mulan, come on. The heart, above all things, is deceptive. Like, honestly, look at it. That's, like, one of the main things my heart does is lie to me. My heart tells me that this sin will satisfy me, but it won't, and it never does. My heart tells me that I need this craving or this compulsion, but I don't. It echoes to my mind lies that the enemy wants me to believe and insecurities that I've made up for myself. It says that I'm not a good enough dad or I'm not a good enough husband or I'm too sinful to serve other people. My heart is full of lies. My heart, it's like one of the main things my heart does to me. It's like one of the the only things that you don't need to teach my heart to do is, is just lie. Nobody lies to me more than I do. You might find that that's true of you. I love Mulan though. I think it's a fantastic movie. Now don't ignore your emotions, okay? but be open to the possibility that they are invalid or not sound. That's all I'm trying to say. Just be open to the possibility that that your feelings are not the objective barometer for truth. And to do that, that's not suppression of your emotion. That is submission to Christ. That's not denying or abusing yourself. That is just submitting to Jesus. Just because you feel a conviction about something doesn't mean that the case is closed about that thing. See, if we seek right doctrine, and if the word of God is our source of truth and we believe that it is, our feelings are to be measured against that and not the other way around. Number one, your feelings can be wrong. Number two is this, God's word is only right. God's word is only right. See, it doesn't say everything about everything. But when the Bible speaks, it speaks only truth. It only says what's true. And what God doesn't say directly through his word, he says through the voice of his spirit, through the principles and examples of history, and especially through the life of Jesus. So much of what the Bible doesn't need to say, we find in close, thorough examination of who Jesus was and how he lived. But the truth that God speaks indirectly, whether through his spirit to you or through experience to you or through history to you, it has to line up with what he says explicitly, right? So for that, what do we do? 
We pray that we would have a greater love for and devotion to the written word of God, the library of scripture that we call the Bible. We just pray for greater love for that, greater devotion to that. Because what we think God is is putting in us as a conviction or what he's leading us to believe, it has to line up with what he has said explicitly through his word. And so we have to love and be devoted to his word. I love how N.T. Wright emphasizes this priority of diligent, intentional study of God's word. He said this, By contrast with most of the ancient world, Early Christianity was very much what he calls a bookish culture. We sometimes think of the movement as basically a religion, but a first century observer blundering in on a meeting of Christians would almost certainly have seen them initially as belonging to some kind of educational institution. This is the more remarkable in that education in that world was mostly reserved for the rich, for the elite. I don't know what you think of when you think of those first century believers, but I just have this picture now painted in my head of, of you, you know, you barge into a room of, of first century believers and you just kind of see, you know, the scrolls open and them pouring over it with their eyes and discussing it and, and debating over this idea and this idea, like just rigorously studying and trying to, to uncover the truth that was there and speaking with each other and praying over it, like this, this rigorous educational uh, bookish culture as N.T. Wright calls it. And that's us. And that's what we are to be in some sense as well. So to love the book of God's word, to be people of the book who go there to find truth, who study it, who are, who are literally students of his word. So what exactly was the doctrine that Paul had in mind to Titus? So I'm, I'm kind of talking about doctrine very generally today. You know, what is doctrine? What is sound doctrine? But what did that mean for Paul to Titus when he says, teach what accords with sound doctrine? Well, we know for sure it was at least this because Titus actually delivered this to Corinth. We know for sure it was this. In 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 7, we have some, uh, some of the most fundamental things about our belief. It says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. That is, I mean, the, the things we read in, in 1 Corinthians, that's the minimum sound doctrine that we know that they had. They knew that for sure. So the rest of the letter is really what accords with that truth. See, if Jesus died, if he was buried, if he rose again, then here's what that means for your faith. Here's what that means for your church. Here's what that means for your families. Here's what that means for the island of Crete, okay? If Jesus died and he rose again, here's what that means for the island of Crete. Now, think, pull pull us out of the book of Titus. Now, think for you and me. What sound doctrine do we have access to? Because theirs was a lot more limited, the truth, the the portions of God's word that they had access to, a lot more limited. What do we have access to? The entire Bible and how it's been lived out through God's people for over 2,000 years. Now again, it doesn't say everything about everything, but on the things that matter most, on life's deepest, most burning questions, there is truth to be found. 
I want us to get that today. There is truth to be found. There is clarity and resolve to be found on the issues that matter most. Some of the things even reflected in 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, the doctrine of God, what we call theology. Who is God? The doctrine of his people, the church, what we call ecclesiology. That's, that's one of the most important things you could ever learn about. And the answers, the truth, the clarity on that is found in God's word. The doctrine of salvation, soteriology, the doctrine of humanity, what we call anthropology, and everything that that entails. Our identity, our sexuality, our ethics, morality, purpose, the, the truth and the clarity on these things, these things that matter the most. There is clarity to be found in the pages of scripture. There's truth to be found in the pages of Scripture. Second Peter says that through our knowledge of God, we have everything we need for life and godliness. That's why the task of sound doctrine is really what I said earlier, just to think biblically about everything. That's my hope and my prayer for us today is that we would learn to think biblically about everything, knowing that we're going to believe doctrine some some doctrine somewhere we're gonna buy into some level of dogma or religion or faith somewhere somehow through some kind of worldview but would it be sound would it be true and to do that we think biblically about everything that's the second thing is that god's word is only right and then we keep moving number three here on our outline uh doctrine alone is just incriminating Doctrine alone is just incriminating. Let me explain that. See, that's all just been in verse 1. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. But immediately after that, sound doctrine has to lead to instruction for sound living, really, to, to right living. It's the problem of hypocrisy that Jeff talked about last week. If you just learn doctrine, you'll be a hypocrite in no time. In fact, the more truth you know, the more accountable you are to live in accordance with it. That's a biblical principle we see. So if you don't want to live a highly accountable life, here's my advice, my encouragement, is that you would stop learning truth. If you don't want to live a highly accountable life, then just stop learning truth. Stop where you are. It'd be better that you don't learn anything else than if you keep digesting Bible studies and sermons and podcasts without letting it transform your behavior and actually grow your devotion to Christ. It'd be better if you just stopped learning truth until you can implement all of what you already know. See, if you learn doctrine and then apply it, that is what we're here for. That is what we're called to do. See, it's not, a, it's not good enough to have good doctrine, to have, to have right belief. You must be devoted to right practice, to doing good things. So here, Paul begins his case for the family units, actually obeying the doctrine that they believe. Verses 2 and 4, first he starts, he says, Older men, be sober-minded, be dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. And then he continues, he says, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Jeff's going to unpack this more next week, just specific practice things. But, but I just want to ask, why does he transition immediately uh, from doctrine to behavior? Why does he transition so quickly from here? Teach what accords with sound doctrine to 
here's the behavior, here's the practice. And I think it's really simple because people really learn from us in two ways, what we say and what we do. Like it's, it's too obvious to even say it, but, but I think it's worth saying, well, what you say and what you do. And the thing for us to remember is that the amount of incongruence between those two things, that's what hypocrisy is. It's the amount of incongruence between what you say and what you do. That's the definition of hypocrisy. See, the goal for us today is right living that makes much of Jesus. To love him and to enjoy him and to point others to him. And to do that, it's equal parts doctrine, what you believe, and action, how you live. My hope is that we would hold our feelings with humility, submitting our convictions to the authority of God's word. As we continue to spell out the specifics of our behavior, would we learn to think biblically about everything? That's it for today. Would we just learn to think biblically about everything? All the, the deepest, most burning questions in life, the deepest problems, the tensions, would we learn to think biblically about them, believing that there is truth, there is sound doctrine to be found within the pages of God's word? Would we, as a church, be a bookish culture who learn to think biblically about everything? I want to pray for us, and then I want to just leave us with a short scripture before we leave. Let me pray. So, Father, I just want to give you thanks for giving us the gift of your word. In your word, there is truth, there is clarity, uh, there's objectivity on a number of things. And so, God, where your word speaks, I pray that um, we would listen and obey. And God, where your word doesn't speak directly, I pray that we would, we would find the truth you want us to find through the voice of your spirit, through our community, through your church, throughout history. Lord, we would learn those lessons and compare them up against your written word and, and we would find the sound doctrine on all things that you want us to find. God, grow us, uh, make us more the people you want us to be, shape us with your truth that's found in your word more uh, and more, uh, including and especially our time today. God, we love you and uh, we lift this time up to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, let me, before you log off, let me just read this from 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Um, would this be the last thing you hear today? But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. We'll see you next time.